HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Rancho Gordo, growing the best and most interesting heirloom beans available. Learn more at ranchogordo.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's all about screens. We're diving into the world of TV, computers, and even VR to figure out how food consumption is shifted by a digital lens. Every course talks about a different topic within the Asian Americanized identity through a very personal lens. And the three courses that are paired with VR, in it you're seeing a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that you're about to eat. Most of us in the world live in urban areas. And so how much is the city already accidentally providing its residents? And how much more could it provide if um, we just made a priority? Tune in to Meet and 3. HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And for many people around the world, as we record this today, it happens to be the 17th of September. Um, and as we're recording this, a lot of people around the world are making preparations for Rosh Hashanah, the celebration of the new year, the Jewish new year. And the holiday was probably established by the 6th century BC, according to um, some notes that I've read. But the phrase Rosh Hashanah really didn't show up for the first time until around 200 AD. And that's all the deep history I can give you, folks. <laughs> but I have with me somebody who will share with us the food, the special celebrations, the symbolism, and uh, everything everything about Rosh Hashanah that we're all looking forward to this year. And her name is Shifra Klein. And Shifra is editor-in-chief of Fleischig's Magazine. And, which is the national leading gourmet lifestyle publication dedicated to modern kosher cuisine. And Shifra is uh, no stranger to the magazine, is relatively new, um, just going into, I think it's second season, right, Shifra? Yes. Okay, but she has been with magazine publishing for a while, and she will tell us about that. And she and her husband um, set out to to really let everyone know about modern creations of kosher cooking. And it is, I have to say, I'm loving the magazine. It's great. The pictures are, the photographs are wonderful. The recipes are enticing. 
Uh, so Shifra, I'm, I'm going to find out from you all about the background of, of working in magazines. You used to be a, a, a high school history teacher. So we got the history in there too. That's good. One thing that I liked about what you said in your, your holiday issue of the magazine is this new year, let's go back to the old normal and the old normal. I mean, that's for many people celebrating Rosh Hashanah is going to be a whole different story. So first of all, let's talk about you and your, your interest in, in the magazine and, and presenting kosher food to, you know, to people in a new way and your, and how long, you know, what you've been doing in the past with magazines. Well, thank you, Linda, for having me. It's so great to be here and talk to you about Rosh Hashanah and kosher food. Uh, yeah, so you're right. I started off, <clears throat> excuse me, I started off as a teacher and went into a magazine. Um, it really started from a passion to share what the kosher lifestyle is with the world. Because when we created the magazine, the whole point was to get it nationally distributed so that everyone can have access to it. And what really got it started was I was always really into food, really passionate about cooking. Most people who keep kosher are because every week we keep Shabbat. And that is a time where, you know, it's a spiritual time, but it's also a time where we eat a lot of food. You know, you could liken it to like weekly Thanksgiving feasts. So we're having all these meals, but like there's no actual physical publication that represents that. So um, that really drove the, drove the desire to bring that to the market. Um, really from, if I would have known what publishing was about, perhaps I wouldn't have done it, but I thought I could conquer it and do it and just jumped right into it. Um, and it was really just about sharing, you know, when you walk, for example, I'll give you an example of what really got it started. When you walk into a supermarket and you go down the kosher aisle of the supermarket, you'll see traditional Ashkenazi Jewish food. You know, you have the gefilte fish in a jar and you have some crackers. There's so much more to kosher food. And I really wanted to give people that don't keep kosher an idea about what it is, but also for people who keep kosher to have something that they don't have to make accommodations for. So that's really how the magazine got started. Our first magazine was called Batavon, mm. which is Bon Appetit in Hebrew. I, I, yeah. I thought that was very clever. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And then, yeah, then we transitioned to uh, Joy of Kosher magazine with Jamie Geller. Um, once we had our magazine on the market for two years, she had um, requested that we join her team. And it just worked out for us. It was a great opportunity for us to do what we love without a lot of the logistics of running a magazine we joined right. a different company. Yeah. And so your new magazine, Fleischig's, which you tell us it means it's basically, it's not all about meat, but, <laughs> but <laughs> yes. tell us, tell us about that and the meaning of that, that, and, and, um, so a big part of keeping kosher is not mixing milk and meat together. Right. That's a big right. crucial part of it. And so we decided to make, we wanted to, our new, when we decided to make this new magazine, uh, we really wanted to make the magazine something fresh and exciting, but also really focused on a specific point of view and topic. So we decided to focus on uh, on meat dishes, but also anything that goes along with meat. So ironically, this is really ironic, we have a lot of vegan recipes in the magazine. I, I noticed that. Yeah. I was surprised. Yeah. So it's a meat magazine with a lot of vegan recipes because 
when you're eating meat meals, you're always looking for those non-dairy sides, non-dairy even like mains or desserts. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this beautiful challah that we make for, that I'm going to be making for Rosh Hashanah this year. It's called Kubana. And it's a Yemenite overnight bread. And it's gorgeous and delicious. And it's almost like a challah meets a croissant, but it's vegan and it's incredible. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, and in fact, I, I, I noticed the, it, even the cover of your holiday issue has uh, not meat on the cover, but fish. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Um, so let's transition over to the traditional um, foods that people are going to be either making or dealing with or, you know, that have been eating for years and years. And in fact, like over 3,000 years. Yeah. Um, the foods that are traditional for Rosh Hashanah. Um, what talk, talk to us a little bit about the history of the, of the um, well, the holiday as much as you know, and, and uh, the foods about for Rosh Hashanah. I guess what we would bring in were, are the, um, the rules of kosher, the kosher food rules. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, that. in the beginning of the show, you mentioned in my letter from this issue, I said, let's go back to the old normal. And so this is where the tradition ties in. There's something very comforting about doing something again and again, you know, it's just like that's nostalgic and that your parents have done and your grandparents have done. And that's what we do on Rosh Hashanah. There's the classic s- symbolic food that we eat every single year, no matter what. Right. Uh, the biggest one is honey. Um, the whole idea of Rosh Hashanah is that it's the new year and uh, we really want to have a sweet new year. Like that's the main goal, right? That's what everyone wants, a happy, healthy new year. And so the foods that we eat reflect our wishes in a physical way. And it's also great because when you have kids and family, it's a great tangible way to actually understand the concept of what you're wishing for, what you're praying for and what the day means. Um, So honey is a big one. And you'll find it on every single table, challahs dipped in honey, apple dipped in honey, dishes made with honey, chicken glaze. Everything is like honey based. So that's really big. Um, Apples are another really big traditional food. There's a custom um, to apples symbolize also sweetness and prosperity and paradise. So um, we dip apples in honey and then there's people are making apple crumbles, apple pies, apple cakes. So uh, that's the two biggest ones. And then a challah is always a traditional food that we have. Um, but on Rosh Hashanah, we um, have round-shaped challah. So round reflects, like the, a circle is infinite, and we want mm-hmm. infinite blessings. Um, so that's, those are like the three big foods. So round challah, apple, and honey. That you're going to find everywhere. And, then, well, and it's yeah. interesting, just to interject, it's interesting because so much of the, um, the, celebrate, the celebratory foods and the holidays, the holiday foods, it's sort of like a natural process because they go along with the seasons. Yeah. And you know, apples come into season, the honey is harvested, you know, it's, 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 it just, it makes infinite sense. Yes. It, it is a very seasonal holiday. A lot of the holidays that we celebrate are seasonal. We actually have a few New Year's throughout the year. And there's one that's the New Year's of the tree. And that's in February or March. And that's when the trees start to grow. So it's just really interesting to see that tie in. 
Yeah, it's very right. fascinating. I mean, it makes sense that so many thousands of years ago, I mean, this was yeah. obviously, you know, what, what they, they had. They ate what they had. They ate what came in season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting, another very seasonal fruit um, that we eat is a pomegranate. Pomegranate is right. another big uh, fruit. The seeds reflect, multi, you know, there's a lot of seeds. We want a lot of blessings. And what's interesting is that uh, years ago, it turns out that there were sweeter versions of pomegranate. Pomegranate had sweeter and sour um, versions. Um, today, most pomegranates are, they're, they're slightly sweet, but they're still acidic. Um, so a lot of people will actually eat the pomegranate, but coated in some sugar or even honey to add that extra boost extra. of sweetness. Yeah, we're yeah. all about that. A lot of people don't even eat vinegar because they don't want to bring um, anything sour or bitter onto the, into their, um, I guess, into their house, into their food during Rosh Hashanah. Right. Interesting. Um, the, I mean, the, the, the rules of, of kosher food really came in later than a lot of the, um, the holiday celebrations. Um, I mean, the, the fact that Rosh Hashanah, they, there's, um, some evidence that it was around, you know, sixth century BC, and yet the kosher rules of food really didn't come about until later. Is that correct? Uh, there, there's there's actual kosher rules in the Torah, and then there are different customs that came about over the years. And even within um, even within my my own group, and even within my own community, there are different ways to. There's the basics of kosher, right? So the basics of kosher is not to mix milk and meat together. It's actually written in the Torah not to cook, um, I think it's a goat in the milk of its mother. Right. So that's where the concept comes from. So there are actual sources in the Torah that speak to um, kashras, kashrut. And um, then over the years, different communities, you know, throughout the years, there were different, um, I guess, customs and um, laws that came about to really solidify what kosher means. And so today there is this general understanding and standard. Um, and still there are variations within different communities about how people observe kosher. But there are the basics, the basics of not mixing milk and meat together, um, not eating certain animals, not eating shellfish. Those are like the basics of kosher. Right, right. Um, as far as the the foods um, and Rosh Hashanah, I mean, the, this is the the new year and then of course it goes until um until yom kippur yeah right and then and then that and so how many but how many major dinners are there really during rosh hashanah the beginning and the end usually uh we are such a food obsessed religion <laughs> and that's why you're on the you. show the culture <laughs> if you're ever in my neighborhood come by for a meal we have food all the time <laughs> Um, so basically we have four meals over a period of 48 hours. Wow. We have a night meal, um, a day meal, another night meal, and another day meal. Um, and each, um, each meal has different customs. Like we'll have uh, the new, we eat new fruit to celebrate the new year. So this mm -hmm. is when we at, bring something new to the table and we make a special blessing on it. It's really fun. Like you get to try so many cool exotic fruit. Because at this point, a pomegranate or even something like a mango or strawberries, maybe 20 years ago would have been new. 
today you need to go get uh, some Rambutan or, right. <laughs> you know, all these really inch star fruit is very popular. Lately, we've been eating jackfruit, like really interesting stuff comes to the table. It's a really mm. fun, interactive experience with the family because everyone gets to taste it and then you have different reactions. So that, that in itself is fun. I urge people to do it. It's a fun activity. Go to a local market, buy some new fruit and try it out. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're not, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's really fun. The, um, there are a lot of other foods that carry some very distinct symbolism with them as well. Um, and, and Simon and is that, is that my yes, that? yes, yes, yes. And those are basically, tell me about that. So simanim are symbols. They're foods that have that hold symbolic value, and they all they're all centered around the idea of having a sweet new year, um, and also about you know having our enemies our enemies you know shouldn't bother us or we shouldn't get we should just everything should be good. Um, now what's very interesting about simanim is that it actually is a real reflection of the Jewish diaspora because. Jews were spread all over the world after they were um, exiled from Israel. And so you had Jews in, uh, is there Sephardic Jews in like Southern Europe and mm -hmm. Northern Africa? And then you have the Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi Jews. And so their, their customs and foods are completely different. Mm -hmm. um, so Simanim is something that's more likely to be found celebrated in Sephardic homes. And in recent years, a lot of Ashkenazim, even myself included, have started to adapt it just because it just increases the meaning of the holiday. Hmm. Um, so there's foods like beets, um, dates. Um, there's the head of the fish we do also. The head of the fish, everyone does the head of the fish or head of the ram. Um, so your year should be like a head and not a tail. So um, back, so back in the day, talking you know you know thousands of years, a thousand years ago, even two hundred years ago, let's say, it would most likely not ne not necessarily be the head of a fish, but it would be the perhaps a you know a sheep's head or um, or a goat's head yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. it's whatever you had. I mean, years ago, right. even my parents, uh, my mother grew up in Russia and uh, my father in Israel, and they didn't have money, so. They, they used to eat a lot of the Jewish food is like poor people's food because they had to make do with what they had. So even the fish head was cooked in a broth. And then the broth became like this gelatinous, um, this gelatinous uh, sort of meal that they, they basically started the meal with the, gel, the gelatinous broth of the fish. They used to take the challah, dip it in this gelatin and eat it as a start to the meal to fill up. Mm -hmm. So the head of the fish or the ram or whatever it was was also used as a starter. So you said this should indicate this should really be symbolic of the beginning of the year, the head of the year, because yeah. you don't want to be behind. Yeah, you want your, your head back. to be. You want your your you want to be like a head and not a tail. Right. Um, there's uh, dates are very popular. They're sweet, um, and we have leeks. And there, a lot of it is plays on words with the Hebrew words of those fruits or vegetables. Um, and even with leeks, like a lot of the traditional way to eat it are leek latkes. They're like these little patties made with leeks mm. with egg and flour and they're fried. Um, actually a lot of Sephardim have what they call a simanim seder. They have this whole, they sit down and they have a whole course where they go through all of the foods that are the simanim and they eat it in different ways. So they'll like have black eyed peas stewed in like a honey sugar syrup and they have these leek patties and it becomes this whole meal um, we're, I think that in general, people who keep kosher, the whole idea of it and 
with celebrating Jewish holidays is that the physical and spiritual have a lot of connection. So it's not just, oh, we go to synagogue, we pray and it's over. We bring that spirituality into the physical things that we do. So it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And I would imagine for a lot of the, um, the more modern uh, Jewish families who celebrate with their dinners too, it's going to be the customary traditional dishes that, you know, their aunts, their aunts and mothers and grandmothers made and not necessarily with um, quite as much uh, variation as you just, you know, just discussed. Yes, it, exactly. I mean, when like, but in any, but in any family, that's that way in any, in any holiday, it's like, exactly. oh, you know, where's Aunt Ida's, you know, Totally. There's something about potato just, dish. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. There's something about your mother's kugel, your bubby's challah right. that just brings something to the table. And yeah, we're very custom oriented. So like whatever your family does is what you do. Um, some families are more strict about different things. So there definitely are variations. Um, but what's really fun from the Flashix magazine perspective is taking the tradition, you know, you spoke about the cover of the magazine being yes. fish but more so than fish, if you notice, there's like this beautiful burgundy sauce glazed on around it. Yes. So that's pomegranate molasses. And beets. So we, and beets. <laughs> we basically took all these traditional foods, right? You have the fish, the pomegranate, the beets. We have apple. We made an apple granita. So it's this beautiful modern tuna crudo that you might find in a five-star restaurant. And we tied that in with the traditions of the past, which is what we love to do. Um, so I'm really excited that you noticed the cover. Yes, I did. And I had to look, I looked hard to find the granita. I mean, I, you know, cause, yeah, because it, it's almost transparent. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was nice there. And there are several other, um, variations, which I was, you know, I was very interested to see. Um, and yet of course the honey cake, I mean, everyone's, everyone's posting pictures of their honey cakes <laughs> on, you know, on, on Instagram and online. Um, and who doesn't love a honey cake? I mean, yeah, really? it's so good. Such a great right. way to celebrate. Um, yeah, I have a really, I have this delicious honey cake that I mix in some apples inside. So it combines the honey and apple oh, theme yeah. together. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and there are also the, um, you mentioned the pomegranate had so many seeds. So it's mm -hmm. like to bring, you know, a lot of good blessings and a lot of good wishes. But then something that obviously would have been more of the um, Sephardic influence, I would imagine, is the couscous with seven vegetables. Yeah. So that's, um, it's so, it's fascinating to look back and see how wherever the Jews lived influenced their food and then translated into how they celebrate their holidays and their traditions. So the Jews mm -hmm. of Morocco, they all are eating couscous with vegetables or chicken in whichever which way, shape or form. So when it comes time for Rosh Hashanah, they took that dish and made it specifically for Rosh Hashanah. So you have the couscous with all these symbolic vegetables. You have the gourd and the leek. And they also tended to add some sweetness to it also. So you have this like savory couscous dish with vegetables that were stewed either as a, veg as a vegetable-based dish or with some chicken too, but also with some added sweetness as well. Um, when I saw that, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to make it this year. It just got me, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah it not? just sounds of course, delicious. If you, but if, obviously if you came from Russia, if you came from the North, you'd be eating more beets. You know, you'd be, exactly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, all right. Well, we're going to take a, a brief break. And when we come back, 
we're going to talk about some of the variations on these traditional older dishes. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Rancho Gordo. Over the past 19 years, Rancho Gordo has led the revival of heirloom beans, taking the lowly bean from a healthy but neglected member of the vegetable family to a near superstar status ingredient. From growing the best and most interesting beans available to making sure all crops are fresh and a pleasure to cook with, Rancho Gordo's mission is to encourage cooks to experience and enjoy the unique flavors of heirloom beans. Rancho Gordo produces nearly 30 varieties of heirloom beans and lentils, as well as corn, grains, chilies, and other cooking ingredients. You can learn more at ranchogordo.com. That's R-A-N-C-H-O-G-O-R-D-O.com. Hi, we're back, and I'm speaking with Shifra Klein. Shifra's editor-in-chief of Fleischig's Magazine, a um, gourmet magazine on modern kosher cooking. Uh, interest, very interesting magazines, and I and the and the, what I like about it, Schiffer, I have to say too, is I learned, well, I learned something new at each issue and I, you sent me a couple different issues and, and had, um, you know, talked about new products too, because you obviously being, um, dedicated to kosher cooking, you, your sponsors are, you know, those kosher companies that, um, produce food products. And I was learning about a lot of new products as well. These new products that you know being offered and and uh, and sold have definitely must have must have definitely influenced the sort of the take on new dishes. For instance, there was uh, oh I saw a recipe for beef fry wrapped mm-hmm. around lamb chops, and I thought, well, now that's you know that looks absolutely delicious and that's great. But you know, beef fry is not you, you have to no, a good kosher. I mean, actually, in Chinatown, you can get it too, but in but it's not kosher. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, these are again, that's a, um, a type of product that you know is is sold and marketed to to make these incredible dishes. But let's what we didn't talk. Oh, we didn't talk about really um, chard or spinach. And chard being chard was a, is a really probably before beets, right? Was became was really a, um, let me say, the vegetable that held a lot of symbolism um, for the holiday. And then once again, it's an autumn, you know, green, a cold weather green. So it's it's interesting that it's in there. Yeah, it's really interesting that that's one of the symbols. And yeah, there's different variations. So people will either do charred spinach or beets. Hmm. Interesting. And you were talking about how so many, so much of the symbolism and then so much of the vegetables also, it's a play on, on the Hebrew words. Yeah. So this one is that, um, beets is, um, in Hebrew, um, really represents that, um, it, it represents the words like to, that are, it represents the concept that our enemies should depart, that their will shouldn't be strong enough to actually affect us. So that's the one hmm. that we eat to really sort of, you know, fight against our enemies all right uh and the the green leafy vegetables uh something also when you cut them down you cut down the stalks i mean yeah all right interesting um the dates you know you mentioned the dates um and then again it's just all this all the sweetness um 
and the fun with puns you entered you sent me a, a fun pun with one of them eating celery paired with raisins so that's a newer one that's like a more uh, modern one that people actually took upon themselves but it's celery with raisins so you should have a raise in your salary oh and I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll remember that one i'll, keep, I'll put that on my plate every night <laughs> that's a good one um so as far as um is what you would have for a main meal what is what would be a traditional um main dinner meal that that uh you would have for rosh hashanah not the modern dishes but it, what, what would be let's say the center of the plate what would be the main course and- um so for well that's a good question um the main course for us would be something like honey chicken or honey beef, a uh, honey brisket, or a honey roast, where you take on- is simple onions, chicken, honey, braise for hours. Do the same with a really, you know, a cut of meat like brisket or chuck roast that can go for hours. Uh, that would be a main dish. Right. A side dish would be like a noodle kugel or a potato kugel. And then there's simis. Um, it's carrots that are stewed in a sugary syrup. Uh, sometimes prunes are added to it. Uh, people have recently added sweet potatoes, but those are really traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I grew up with and many other people as well. Right. So now we <laughs> introduce a lot of the modern. <laughs> Very, yeah. I have to, I have to say, I was always surprised when, um, when I would make a, um, a brisket or, you know, a long stewed beef surprised when I would take one of the, um, the recipes from the Jewish tradition, how much sugar, how much brown sugar or honey there was in the recipe that that always surprised me. And now listening to you talk about the sweetness overwhelming everything mm-hmm. at a meal, it, it makes you know total sense. Yeah, and what's what's interesting though about that is that you will find a big difference with the palates of Ashkenazim and Sephardim. Where Sephardi food, if they're going to add honey or Ceylon, which is date syrup, it's going to be one to two tablespoons. Yeah. So it's also a palate issue. Where where you come from determines how sweet you're going to eat your food. Mm. So it's okay. really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the date, I love the, and the date syrup is a wonderful substitute because I love, I mean, not even a substitute. It's a wonderful sweetener, um, which I, I have a lot of, uh, um, a lot of joy using as well. Uh, so tell me about some of these modern recipes, um, that you would incorporate in your own meal, a twist on something. What's really fascinating is even from when I grew up, even from when I got married, to now, there's such a big shift in the amount of um, different ingredients that are available. I think for everyone, I don't know that it's um, just for the kosher world, but the whole growth of you know how the world got smaller and like oh yeah yeah international so impa- yeah. yeah international cuisine. I mean, how can you not incorporate that somehow in some meal? Yeah, and that exactly, and that affected what the the world of kosher too. So many more ingredients are available. Um, I would say like ten years ago, even till now, Asian food. Is, has just like exploded and all the different ingredients that you'll have. Like uh, we have gochujang, which is a Korean oh. chili paste that was like five years ago. Nobody even knew what that was in the world of kosher. Now you hear it on in, in every recipe. <laughs> yeah. And that's incorporated. We have a recipe in Fleshex where we have a maple gochujang glaze that we put on roasted acorn squash. So you roast the acorn squash, um, glaze it with some maple gochujang, put it back in the oven. And it's just, 
really delicious. You have the spicy, the sweet, and it's just this perfect seasonal vegetable. Believe so, me, it's already it's already in my computer as a yeah. recipe. So. <laughs> yeah, um, um, and um, uh, something else that just oh pot stickers. You <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, okay. So we eat stuffed food is a very big tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like for Yom Kippur. And then the next holiday that we have is Sukkot. Um, and so basically we have pot stickers to represent that, um, which is just such a modern take on something that like traditionally we would have, let's say, stuffed cabbage. And here we're stuffing mm-hmm. wonton wrappers with this delicious um, meat filling. And it's just really fun. It's yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Well, you mentioned Sukkot coming at, after Yom Kippur, and that's, I mean, that's always wonderful because it's all, it's the whole harvest. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah. That's great. And we eat outside, so this year it's mm-hmm. perfect. <laughs> that's great. Um, and do you think there's more fish being incorporated, you know, people being, you know, health conscious and diet conscious, a lot more fish being incorporated into Yeah, meals. definitely. What's really interesting is, um, traditionally when I grew up, you never had a vegetarian meal mm-hmm. when it was Rosh Hashanah, let's say. Right. Now you have a lot of people doing, well, like I mentioned before, you're having four meals in 48 hours. So to have four meat meals is really heavy um, and also not ideal. So a lot of people are starting to incorporate vegetarian or vegan menus as an option. So like for a day meal, you'll have a spread of, let's say, uh, you know, roasted salmon with uh, a fresh salad, a Greek salad with some feta cheese. Right. And you'll just really change things up. You know, people are really combining the tradition with the mo- with a more modern outlook. Um, and it's really interesting to see. It's really cool. Well, uh, and I mean, and in, in the recipes that I've been talking about, obviously, because we're talking about Rosh Hashanah, the holiday as well, and the history of, of, of the foods going along with the holiday, how much um, symbolism there is. But that's just the holiday issue of your magazine. I, I mean, I was, I, I was stunned with some of the, you know, the beautiful photographs and and uh, the recipes and in some of the other issues as well. Um, anything that you want to to um, tell our listeners that you know that you're impressed with in terms of working with modern kosher food? I mean, I know you and your husband each go out and seek out the best of of whatever there is out there in the New York area. But what what in particular would you um, say that impresses you with what you're finding in a lot of these young – you incorporate a lot of young food writers as well. Yes. You know, a lot of modern food writers. Yeah, there are so many talented food personalities in the world of yes. kosher. I think that it's just fascinating to read about um, a culture that not many people know. There's so many mis- – uh, there's so many um, – there's so many assumptions or things that people don't necessarily know. So it's just fascinating to see. I mean, we've had issues where we've introduced a kosher winery in Tuscany. So you can go mm-hmm. and go truffle hunting and make fresh pasta and have kosher wine in Tuscany. You can go to California. Uh, there's a winery there as well that has this beautiful restaurant. Um, so it's just interesting to see how international kosher cuisine is, um, the different personalities, the different foods, and then the co- combina- combining tradition and our culture with the world of today. So, 
you know, what we really focus on in Fleetships Magazine also is we call it ungoogleable content. We are we're doing just things that you're not going to think to Google. You're not really going to find anywhere else. And you just open up the magazine and it's just interesting and fascinating. But most importantly, like you mentioned, and I'm very flattered um, about the pictures and the design, which is a very big focus of ours because we really want to put something out there that's reflecting all the design trends and food trends and even creating our own sort of look and voice. Right. So that's in a nutshell. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I know you do a lot of the food styling for the magazine as yeah. well, do you not? Yeah. Um, it, you know, the other thing that, that I uh, had wanted to mention at the top of the show, and and you just reminded me, is that a lot of the the recipes, a lot of the, and and there'll maybe be a, an in, always in, incorporate enough recipes that makes an entire meal, you know, the, a main, a side, and a dessert. But it's, I, I get more of a feeling of home cooking out of it rather than some chef prepared, very, you know, untouchable recipe, difficult to, um, to execute. These yeah. are all very, you know, very approachable recipes. Yeah. I mean, thank you for bringing that up. That is a very good point. Mm. Um, of course, everything needs to be like aspirational, but still doable for anyone. Right. Um, so that's very important for, for me whenever we do anything. We actually um, have somebody, I have somebody in the kitchen who's my assistant. I specifically hired someone who doesn't have, who's not a chef, who doesn't have tons of cooking experience. I like to watch how she executes the recipes. And then I like to analyze her questions. So that way I understand what a regular home cook is going to feel when they approach that recipe. Right. So that's a big Very part important. of our process. It gives, and it really is important in the field that it gives the magazine. It's, you know, it really is um, very interesting. And I hope that everyone who's, you know, preparing their feast, well, this year, as I say, it's going to be very different. People yeah. are going to do some distance, distance dining, right? Some Zoom meals on Zoom and eating together, but not together in the same room. Hopefully other people will, you know, be able to be together with their families and, and uh, loved ones and, and and have a celebration dinner, um, but I encourage everyone to look for the magazine Flashigs. Again, I will will post a picture of it, and uh, and it's is it pretty much available on most newsstands? Or yeah, it's available it on most newsstands. Yeah. Um, but you know, just really easily available online. We have a digital issue, um, and all the information is on our website. So you just go to flashigs.com, and you can see everything there. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thank you for introducing it to me and for sharing all your, your thoughts on the food. And I wish you the best of luck with it. And I wish you a happy new year as well. You too. I want to wish you a happy new year and everyone a happy, healthy new year. So yes, back to the old. Yes. Normal. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks so much for sharing. And thank you for listening. Again, this has been a taste of the past on heritageradionetwork.org. And you can support our listener-supported radio network by going to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the button, the beating heart, in the upper right-hand corner. And we appreciate your listening. We appreciate your help. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.